For those of you who've been around for a while, you probably know that I like to reserve January for going back to the basics of science of mind. And so I got out my somewhat time-worn science of mind textbook, and we're going to do the first four chapters of this book over the next four weeks. I think we're going to have some fun, and indeed the place to start is with the notion of God. And so I found a little joke that describes at least one idea of what God is like. You know me. Always a joke. All right, Moses and God sit down to dinner. It's canned tuna and crackers. Now, Moses doesn't want to say anything, but he notices that down in hell they're having a complete banquet. The next day, when Moses comes to dinner, it's canned tuna and crackers again. Now, he's a little annoyed, but he eats it. But he can't help but notice that down in hell they're having something completely different. It's like a beautiful spread, meat, cheeses, wine, the whole nine yards. Third day, Moses sits down at the table, and yet again, it's canned tuna and crackers. Down in hell, a complete feast. It's like a total party going on there. Moses can't hold it in any longer. I didn't want to say anything more before God, um, you know, you being the chef and all, but this is heaven. Why are they having such great dinners down in hell, and all we get is tuna and crackers? Well, God turns to Moses and says, well, just can't get enthused to make up something really nice for just the two of us. <laughs> so apparently, Jesus didn't even make the cut into heaven. <laughs> and you know what? I think that is not completely different from the idea that a lot of us have about God and about things like heaven. It's, it's one of those sort of exclusionary things, right? with that God up in the sky that's kind of checking us out. And, you know, we just finished Christmas, so there's that whole Santa Claus metaphor, too, going on, right? Were you naughty? Were you nice? Is God going to be there for you? Are are you going to get a lump of coal this year for all of your hard work? And so today I want to blow the lid off, if we can, that idea that God is somehow like that, that there's some guy on a cloud with a checklist, that there's someone who has impossibly high set of standards. I want to blow us out of the idea thinking we have to make do with just the canned tuna and the crackers. All right, are we game? I think it'll be fun. Now, the way I did this last year, I'm, I'm going to give you the whole year recap, if you will. The way I did it last year was we did what I called the toilet paper universe, and some of you might even remember, we had a roll of toilet paper, and I let the toilet paper represent, if you will, cosmic distances. And so I stood here boldly as the sun, you know, the the middle of our solar system, and we went the toilet paper out that way, and really, we didn't have to get any further than just my hand before we came to Earth, because that was going to be our, our, our sort of scale of how far and how big the universe is. So, so from right here to my hand was the Earth, and, and, you know, we, we kind of marched along with Mars and, you know, Saturn. And, and I had someone clear out in the bookstore. We enrolled the toilet paper as far as into the bookstore, and that was Pluto. And that pretty well covered our, our solar system. But we ran into a little trouble when I asked for a volunteer to drive to Junction City. Because the trouble with this whole thing is you'd have to drive, well, and we would have probably needed, I think, more than one roll of toilet paper. We would have had to go to Junction City to represent the next closest celestial object, the closest other sun to our own sun, 
in, in that kind of a, a distance scale, even when the earth to the sun is only this far, you'd have to go to Junction City for the nearest sun. And then if you think, well, that's okay. We, you know, I can still, de- you know, in my head, I've been down I-5. I know where Corvallis is, and it's like the next stop. At least I can imagine that. The trouble was, then when we move on to the next thing that I wanted to picture as part of do- God's domain, the next actual galaxy... And here I have to read it from the book because I can't remember. You would have to go 1,017,589,000 miles worth of toilet paper. Now, now we're in a number, you know, now we're back into celestial mechanics again, right? It's like the idea of how big God is in order to be the, the sort of understander and the purveyor of everything begins boggling the mind. Um, I also want to talk a little bit today about characteristics of God. You know, as many different religions and spiritual paths that there are, at least the ones that I'm aware of, tend to agree at least on a few characteristics of what God is like. One of them is omnipresence, the idea of God being everywhere. And that's why I wanted to talk about how big this this thing that we call the universe is. Because if God is everywhere, God's got to be willing to drive to Junction City. Do you know what I mean? right? God really has to be everywhere. And the next quality that most religions also agree about is the idea of of omniscience. It's not just that God is there, but God is also wise as to what's going on, right? All of the thoughts, the ideas, the motivations, the intentions, everything that's going on in the universe, not only is God there, but God also has awareness of it, wisdom around it. In fact, you might even say the wisdom of everything that has been before, the wisdom of right now, and even the wisdom that's ever going to be there, right? Because this includes time. You wouldn't say, well, God only exists right now. There wasn't a God, you know, a thousand years ago, right? So not only is God spatially huge, but it also encompasses all of what we call time in order for the omniscience part of it to be there. All right, now that I think we did cover last year. So if some of you are thinking, well, is this a review? You're right. But I want to kind of make it bigger yet, if you're willing. So I did a little research into quantum mechanics. And first of all, did you know that we're not just in a three or four dimensional universe? Most scientists agree that there are at least 11 physical dimensions to this universe. Human beings can sense about three of them. And if you want to think of time as a fourth dimension, although most scientists say no, not really. But if you want to count time, that's four. But there's really 11. So what you need to do, since a dimension like, like multiplies the spatial area by itself again, it's like your biggest idea of God, multiply it times itself three more times to account for the extra dimensions. And then, unfortunately, that isn't even enough because the very nature of the universe itself, if we think of calling God big enough to encompass the entire universe, and I brought a balloon here, let's, let's for a minute, and I promise, no big bangs, or at least not in the popping of the balloon sense, but if we think of God being the universe and being this balloon, well, we have a little problem, too, because the theories of quantum physics would say this is not a static thing. 
it actually was caused in a big bang. And in fact, I'll even, I'll even illustrate this a little bit for you. Right? Since, it's, uh, since it's New Year's, where it says happy birthday here, if this is the universe, I'll say here's where the original big bang happened, right? And all the scientists and astro- astronomers will agree. What happened was in that single point, everything that we know in the universe came into being kind of at once, and then it started rushing off in, in uh, exactly opposite directions from each other, thus creating and filling the universe at the same point, if, if you see what I mean. And that's why they say that the actual galaxies and whatnot are spinning away from each other. The idea of the expanding universe is from this Big Bang, everything is expanding away from each other. All right, you might ask, where are you going with this? Well, where I'm going next is... The reason they need all 11 of those spatial dimensions is to explain what is happening. Space and even time itself are curved. That's why I'm using a balloon. And that's why if you keep extending these lines, what you're going to find is that at some point in time, we're no longer coming away from each other even though we think we're on a trajectory opposite and away from everything, a few billion years here and now, and we'll discover that as fast as we're going, we're suddenly getting closer and closer and closer, and we get another big bang. Are we foolish enough to think that When this goes bang, God is gone. Just starts another cycle. It's as though this entire cycle, if you will, is the heartbeat or the breath of God itself. And so even when you think of something as jihugic, is that a real word? I think I've used that before. Um, No matter how big you think God is, us poor humans can't quite even do it justice. Because if we're really thinking of God as omniscient, as God as omnipresent, you know, God's going to persist through this Big Bang and through the next one. Oh, and by the way, those of you who are parents, be careful when you tell this story to your children. I did tell this to uh, a grade school class one time, and one little boy said, I think I need to go home now. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't actually going to happen in any kind of measurable time scale. You don't have to worry. You can reassure your children that uh, that we're going to be here and for each other for a good long time. But I think it sobers me into realizing how big God really is. We also talk about God in the sense of the science of mind as the repository for all knowledge. That is that omniscience aspect of it. And when we describe God as the one mind and our individual minds as a subset of that, of course, what we're also saying is that God's kind of like the Library of Congress. It's like every thought that's ever had every thought that ever will be had, right? The concepts and ideas like books are just stacking up in a giant library because that's the omnipresent and the omniscience of it. And so now I want to throw out a question specifically. So we've seen how big the universe is. We know that somehow there's a a record of everything that's happened and everything that will happen. There's a, a record of what there was during the last Big Bang and what's going on in this Big Bang and, and what we're describing as God. And my question is then, where is God? 
And here, I think, is where science and religion come together in this thing called religious science with a very simple and amazing answer, and that is God is right here because God is everywhere. You don't have to travel to Junction City to find God. You don't have to travel to the far reaches of the universe. You don't have to go through this Big Bang into the next one. You don't have to study metaphysics from the perspective of the the Buddhists and the Christians and the, the Hindus and on and on. God is right here because God is everywhere. Otherwise, you've got this Library of Congress thing that has to be physically built somewhere, right? You'd have to have this big recording agency taking care of whatever happened and what the thoughts were and what the emotions were. You'd have to have a a little model of the universe so that God could sit outside of it, right, and look down on it. And, And we know that these are just ideas that humans came up with trying to explain the nature of God. But the reality is so much simpler And that simply is that for God to be everywhere, God has to be everything. There is simply nothing outside of God. And so I want to read to you the the very opening of this lovely Science of Mind textbook, because I think Ernest Holmes absolutely would say we're on the right track here. He says, we all look forward to the day when science and religion shall walk hand in hand through the visible into the invisible. Science knows nothing of opinion, but recognizes a government of law whose principles are universal. Yet, any scientist who refuses to accept intangible values has no adequate basis for the values which have already been discovered. Revelation must keep faith with reason, and science must justify faith in the invisible. Ernest Holmes absolutely wanted us not to just take the, either the existence or the universe or the existence of God on blind faith. No, what he called for us to do is to actually see God in the context of science. He really wanted us to not only have a personal relationship with God, but also to understand even, even in, you know, in the, I think this was last revised in the 70s, even in back in time, the idea is this isn't a faith that is static. It needs to expand even as our notions of God, even as our notions of science, even as our notions of how the universe is put together expands. And so today is a call for us to not only go without and recognize how big God is, but also a call to go within and understand our own place in it. It is a call to go within and understand how we can develop a relationship with this thing that arguably is beyond uh, understanding. Uh, Many of the great religions in the world also, well, in fact, a couple of the great religions of the world say, to utter the name of God is blasphemy because it is tempting to pinpoint something that that is infinite. It's, it's, it's trying to come up with a summation of what is infinitely large, infinitely wise, infinitely intelligent, and somehow sum it into one word. And I don't know that we can ever do that, and that's why in religious science you'll, you'll hear us refer to God as God, but sometimes Allah, sometimes Spirit. And the reason is it doesn't really matter what it's called. 
It is that unknowable, it is that hugeness that we talked about, and it is the personal nature of God that locates God firmly right here in our own human hearts, now and forever, because the same materials that created the stars also created you. The same intelligence with which that we say the universe is omniscient is the intelligence that you have at your disposal. That same wisdom that we talked about as a, a library of Congress with all of the great wisdom of all time, past, present, and future, is likewise for you to have access to. There is but one mind, and you are a part of it. I'd like to summarize today with another quote of Ernest Holmes. And this talks a little bit more of the, uh, the omnipotent or the all-powerful nature of God. And this is how he closes this first chapter. There is that within every individual which partakes of the nature of the universal wholeness and, insofar as it operates, is God. There is that within us, within you, which partakes of the nature of the divine being. And since it partakes of the nature of the divine being, we are divine. Let us pray. There is one power and presence in this universe, this gihugic universe, this universe of infinity, of love, of peace, of joy, of abundance. There is but one God. And because this is an eternal and ever-present substance and form and mentality, I know that it also means me. I know that God's life is my life, that the intelligence of the universe is my intelligence, that the life and the love and the perfection and the joy, that all of these things that God has is for me to have as well. And as it is true for me, I know it is true undoubtedly for each person in this room. Each person here is a God center. Each person here is a unique and perfect subset of all that is God. And as such, that perfection of God is the perfection of each person in this room, the life. And the love of God is here and demonstrable for each person in this room. And so as we begin yet another year on this planet together, I know for each person here that the intentions set forward are set forward in the heart and the creative power of God itself. And so as Sharon indicated <laughs> that intentions may best be left on a scrap of paper, what I know is that there is something beyond a good intention. And that for each person here, what you're truly called to do, what you're truly called to be, that ever greater clarity around the divinity of each person in this room is brought forward this year in unimaginably grand ways. That the perfection that is God-given manifests in life, in love, in abundance, in the pursuits of happiness, and that each person here experiences in this year something fundamental new, something fundamental, fundamentally strong and fresh. And I am simply grateful for this. Grateful in knowing that the power and presence of God is the power and the presence of each person in this room. I simply let it be. 
And together we say, and so it is. Thank you very much. Thank you.